Open your Bibles, if you would please, this morning to the Gospel of Luke and chapter 24. And uh, for those of you who are following us, as I mentioned just a few minutes ago, for the first time uh, on a Sunday morning, uh, we want to do something as a church, we, we want to do something that's a tradition on Sunday mornings, on Easter Sunday morning, uh, at the Rock Church, but also at churches around the world. It's just become a tradition. And so I, I'm going to say three words, and, and I'm going to actually say them three times. And each time afterwards, now you're going to have to really, really say this loud, because there's only four of us here in this room here today. And so I'm going to say the first three words. You're going to finish off. You're going to say those three words and say, indeed. All right? I know the, the Rockers, they, you've all got this one down, so let's do this together. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. And one more time. He is risen. They're so loud in this place here this morning. That's awesome. Yes, he is risen indeed. So let's look at Luke chapter 24. We're going to open God's word this morning, and we're going to go back in time to the events of that day, to some specific events on the day that uh, the third day after Jesus was crucified on the cross, died and buried in the tomb. This is truly what we're looking at here today, some of the events, very brief record of the events from the very first Easter Sunday. And so I want to look at that with you. Um, this is a brief passage, as I said, and, but all four Gospels do record this event, obviously one of the most important events, uh, if not the most important event in the history of the church, in the history of the world, quite frankly, uh, a man who was God died and was buried and rose from the dead. That's an amazing story, and it's a true story. So I'm going to read the first nine verses for you, and then I'm going to pray one more time, and we're going to dive into this morning's passage and text. Luke, the doctor, records these words and said, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, he is risen. Remember how he told you, while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man, the Son of God, must die, must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all of the rest. Let's pray. Yeah, gracious Heavenly Father, uh, once again, as we prayed earlier, as we've been singing this morning, Lord, we are so grateful and thankful to you, our Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, for the plan of salvation that you worked out perfectly on our behalf almost 2,000 years ago. Father, you're still doing that today. Your plan of salvation is still happening today. You are saving men and women today thanks to the blood of Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection. You are setting us free. 
And so, Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you that every year we set aside a Sunday where we remember that Sunday, the first day of the week when Jesus, your Son, Father, rose from the dead, victorious over sin, over the devil, over evil, and over death. We are so grateful. We thank you. We thank you we have no fear today. We thank you that in Christ we know that we do not die. And so we thank you for that. And we ask your blessings upon us today as we look at this record that Luke has written for us that you, Holy Spirit, have inspired. And we pray your blessings now upon us in Jesus' worthy name. Amen. So as I, I like to do often is uh, uh, start with a question. And I have a really simple question for all of you watching here this morning or listening here this morning, and that is this. What gives you life? What gets you up in the morning and, and gives you unparalleled joy, gives you life, makes you feel like what you're going to do or what you are doing is so worth it and so wonderful? I'm looking over outside, outside of our building here this morning, and I'm seeing the sunshine, and I'm thinking many of you are going, that gives me life. Of course it does. Light gives us life. Sunshine gives us life. So it's a simple question, I know, and, and, and it's really simple because I, I know most of you in our church family, and, and, uh, but we also know that this is true of most of us. It's true that I think if we were to look at a top 10 list of the things that give all of us life, they'd be quite similar. Some of them would be in different places, uh, higher up on the list than others. Um, but so, some might be, for example, clearly, especially at this time, healthy family, right? And healthy relationships give us life. I mean, they give us life. Our spouses or our children can give us life. That might be tested right now at this particular time in our, in our world uh, that, that the kids are home and you're home and you're with them, so that might be tested. But in general, come on, they give us life. When our children are born, when our children are growing, they give us life. And how about the simple things that we see out there today, like the sunshine, as I mentioned, the outdoors in general, nature. I know so many people, and myself included, that just nature, walking in the trees, walking in the forest, walking along the ocean, that gives me life, and I'm sure it gives you life as well. For some of you, cooking, baking, right? Food in general gives you life. Maybe a little bit of Merlot gives you life too when combined with the great food. Music, listening to music, performing music, that gives me life, and I know it does for many of you as well. I know it gives my girl, my wife life. Gardening, right? And especially her dream over the next three to four weeks, of course, because she wants to provide eggs for the highlands, is a brood of chickens. That'll give her life. On the other hand, you could pray for me, would you please? These things give us life. I know the list goes on and on. It really does. I could go on and on. In general, then, we look to, we look to others to give us life. Uh, we look to experiences to give us life. And sometimes we look to things to give us life, to comfort us, to energize us, and to give us joy. Those are the things that we all tend to to believe are life-giving, and you know what? In, in many ways, they are. The question then becomes, however, what happens if we can't have some of those things, some of those things that give us life and give us joy? What happens when they're literally taken away? 
What happens, for example, a good example I'm thinking about here in this beautiful area that we live in, and many of you have moved to this beautiful area to be able to be close to that wonderful resort that's just north of us, right, 45 minutes north of us. And if you're into downhill skiing, cross-country skiing, and it's shut down for the whole season, what gives you life now? Well, you can move to another form of recreation, but then that could be taken away as well. We could look at other examples of everything that I've talked about this morning in the same way, I'm sure. And I believe this is true also, that most of us are going to personally discover over the next three to six to nine months, who knows, what we have come to depend on in this life to give us life. You're going to know exactly what those things are if they're taken away if you can no longer participate them, in them and do them. I mean, I was thinking about this yesterday, just sitting at home. I, I like to get out, not just to go out and walk by myself or walk with my wife and our dog, but to see people and be with our friends and, and, and close to each other. To be together is really important. And so you're going to know exactly what those things are. And when you realize that the reason why you are getting so down and potentially even depressed is because they may be gone. They may, in fact, be taken away. So what's the answer, do you think? What's the answer that's, that gives us life without any other questions? Nothing else is required, but gives us life. Well, Jesus would say this, and he said this, and John recorded it in his gospel. He said this, and this was one of the two to three reasons why he repeatedly said, I have come. He said, I have come so that you may have life and life more abundantly. There's a lot packed into that statement. Most of the people who he's speaking to were alive, had life. When he says life more abundantly, he's talking about more than that. He's talking about something significantly beyond that. He said these words while he was still alive, while he was walking on the earth, while he was preaching and teaching about the kingdom of God, and while his disciples were beginning to hear him and following him. He was encouraging them with these words, especially the many who did follow him, the many who were literally the poor, literally the outcast, and the marginalized. Then imagine this. I mean, that would have really encouraged them, right? I've come to give you life and more life and better life. Of course they love that message. But then imagine this. Imagine how they felt last Friday, the first Good Friday. Imagine how they felt. The man who they, whom they'd come to believe was literally the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the long-awaited Messiah that God had promised. That man was rejected by almost everyone in Jerusalem on that Friday. He was brutally, brutally crucified. And he was buried so that people could get on with their lives, could get on with their Passover weekend. Talk about a death in the family. Just imagine how they felt at that time. That then is what Easter Sunday is actually all about. Resurrection Sunday is all about, and I do hope we will see today, from our text today, it's all about new life, real life, and the abundant life that Jesus came 
to fulfill. When he said in John 10.10 those words, it required what happened on Good Friday and on Saturday and on Resurrection Sunday. Your sermon message title for today and points outline is this. I want to encourage you to seek the living word. Three things we will see from this text today, these nine verses. One, everyone had their doubts. Every one of them had their doubts. Two, remember his word. And three, then go and live by faith. So number one, everyone had their doubts. Let's look at the first three verses of the passage that I read this morning. I'll put them on screen for you. Um, by the way, if you don't have a Bible, I would really recommend that you get one. You could download the ESV app to your phone or your tablet. Uh, ESV stands for English Standard Version. It is the version that we use here at the Rock Church in general uh, to preach and teach from. It's a good translation of the Greek New Testament, the Bible in general. So let me read these words for you. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, so Luke begins this chapter, chapter 24, with a very important word, a word that we have to look at, and it's the word but. There's much behind that, but he's really referring back to the events at the end of chapter 23 and back to the events uh, that happened on Friday and specifically the details around the burial of Jesus. And so what happened, since it was very, very late in the afternoon, Jesus died somewhere around 3, 3.30 in the afternoon, and, and 6 o'clock would have been the beginning, was the beginning of the Sabbath. And so the, the, there, was a, there was a rush to get him off the cross that he had been nailed to and to get him buried so that they could enjoy, or at least the religious there, they could enjoy their Sabbath, their rest. So a man by the name of Joseph from Arimathea offered to bury Jesus in a tomb that he already owned, and Pontius Pilate gave him permission to do so. And since time was short, there was no time to appropriately uh, prepare his body for burial, and so he was quickly wrapped um, in a linen cloth, and he was buried. And the tomb was sealed. There was an order given by Pilate to seal the tomb because the Jewish religious leaders were afraid that his disciples would come and steal his body and go, ha ha, he's risen from the dead. The women had followed them to the tomb. They'd followed the procession, which was a very small group, because most of his disciples had fled out of fear that this could happen to them as well. But the women did follow Joseph and others to the tomb. They saw where he was buried, and they saw the tomb sealed. Then we read here on the first day of the week, which is the Sunday, at early dawn, which was probably close to like 6 a.m., they, the women, take the spices that they had prepared and head off to the tomb. They had gone back from the tomb on Friday to prepare those spices, and now they're waiting for this opportunity to go and prepare his body. Now, all four Gospels, as I've mentioned, record this event. They, they record also the events of women going to the tomb early in the morning that day. Mark tells us that they went to anoint his body and that while they were even on the way, on that morning, walking to the tomb, they're looking at each other and they're asking each other, well, has anybody figured out how we're going to move the rock <laughs> away from the tomb? Because how can we get to see his body? How are we going to be able to do that? Because that rock is there. We've already seen that. And so they're, they're walking as they see that. So 
a few points we need to see here. First, the women were doing what was customary for a Jewish burial. They were going to the tomb for the purpose of finishing what they could not finish on Friday due to the start of the Sabbath. But secondly, and this is also pretty clear, they were expecting to find the body of a dead man, were they not? A, a tomb that was sealed, and then if it could be unsealed, and maybe the Roman guards would, would help them uh, unseal the tomb so they could get to his body and prepare his body. with. They expected him to be dead, clearly, and yet they go to the tomb. The only reason that they were going to the tomb is that this was the role of women in the culture in that day. They were the ones responsible for preparing bodies for burial. And so we learn from the details that the women definitely had their doubts, at least to start. And, and verse 4, the very next verse, I believe, as, as I will show you, it confirms it. It says, while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. So that word from the Greek, that word that's used there, uh, perplexed, little, what, what we need to know is what it literally means. A good alliteration of it would be something like they were at a loss for words. It, it was like they couldn't speak. They, they, they see that the tomb is open, that there's no Jesus. These two men are there in dazzling white. These are angels and they're perplexed. It's a very significant word is what they're seeing. So they have no explanation for what they're seeing is essentially what we're getting from that word. So that's interesting, but let's just be clear, that's not just doubt. That's actually also unbelief, as we're going to see. The verses that follow our text today tell us that when the women went back to the men, the apostles, the men that they thought were the men listened to what they had to say, and the men thought that they were just making up a story. And so the women, I mean, we can't just throw them under the bus because they go to the men and they tell them everything that has just happened and what we've just read, what they have been told by these two angels, and the men don't believe them at all. So and it's not just the men. It's approximately 120 people that continued to follow Jesus up until his, his death on the cross. And so they were perplexed. And Peter, of course, he's, he's uh, the one who had denied Jesus three times during his crucifixion and has walked to Golgotha to the cross to where he was crucified. Um, Peter, of course, is like, well, wait a second, maybe it's true. And he runs to the tomb. He literally runs to the tomb. We read a few verses later. And when he gets there, he sees everything. Does he believe? No, the word we read is he marveled. That's a close cousin to perplexed, okay? It essentially means the same thing. Now, I think most of you have also heard another story that happened later on the day on Easter Sunday, the first Easter Sunday. It's recorded in John's Gospel, and it's about Thomas, right? Remember that guy? It's, it's later in the day when Jesus had appeared to all of the disciples who were in Jerusalem, but Thomas was not with them. He's famously given the title for many sermons that are preached about him of Doubting Thomas. And those of you who have been with us at The Rock for some time, you know that I've argued that that's really not a very fair moniker for him. I, I don't like that moniker for him. And the reason for that is because there is no point in the, in the record in John chapter 20 where, where Thomas says, I have my doubts. He doesn't imply that. He actually says, unless I see him alive in the flesh, 
be able to touch him with my hands, I will not believe. So that's even beyond, I want to suggest to you, doubt. So the truth is, on that day, they, they all, okay, they had their doubts. But quite frankly, they were unbelieving early on. It's good news. There's really good news. And then we read in verse 5, And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? So at the point when these poor women had gone from being at a loss to explain what they were seeing and experiences, experiencing, or what, what, maybe a better way to put it, what they didn't see, which was Jesus, they're now in a state of sheer panic and fear. They see these two angels in dazzling white. I mean, this is shocking, and, and really the text indicates to us that they're really in fear. So Luke refers to them as two men. Uh, we learn from the other Gospels that they are angels. But I just want to ask you this, this question related to this. Is this not the most unusual question that the angels ask of the women? I think it is. Look at the question. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Now, what would you do with that? What do you do with that question? If they were perplexed a minute ago, what do you think they are now? Confused? I don't know how you would answer that question if you were there on that day. But the women don't answer the question. It's really odd if you think about it. It really is. Obviously, since we know what happens, we could quickly say, well, yeah, they're alluding to the fact that Jesus is risen. Hallelujah. Well, we could do that. But that's not exactly what's happening, I don't think. They're alluding to the fact, which is true, but there's more going on here. There is actually more to this, I want to suggest to you. If that's all that they meant, you'd expect the women to say, has he risen? Can we see him? Where is he? You would expect that. But they don't. So let's think about that. Life. The Word of God teaches us that when we are all born, we become alive physically. Now, we all know that. It's basic science, right? But the Word of God teaches it a little bit differently. We exit the womb, we start to breathe, we cry out, and immediately we require our mother and others to look after us, to care for us for quite some time, as many of you know. On the other hand, however, the Bible teaches us that we are born spiritually dead. Spiritually dead. So, how did that happen? Well, the fall of Adam and Eve brought that upon us. Since the fall of Adam and Eve, everyone bears the result of their sin. When Adam and Eve were created by God in His image, they were fully and perfectly, hear me, alive in every way, physically and spiritually. They had perfect communion spiritually with their Creator God. However, when they rebelled against God, they died spiritually. Jesus told Adam, you will surely die. The woman ate of the, 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 the fruit, and, and she didn't die. And so Adam felt, well, I can do this too. He, he misunderstood. He thought they were going to die physically, on the spot, on that day. But they did die. They died spiritually. 
So from that time forward, God has been preparing a way to redeem and restore you and I spiritually. When Jesus was born, he was, if you remember the story, born of a, we sang about it this morning, he was born of a virgin. And I've had people over the years go, I like like the miracles and things like that. Like, do I have to believe that Jesus was born of a virgin to become a Christian? Yes. Because A, it's true, and B, because it was really, really necessary. You see, he was born spiritually alive by the Holy Spirit who came over Mary and physically alive as a man. So that's how we know today, we know theologically, but also truthfully, biblically, that Jesus was fully man, fully a human being, but he was also fully God, fully God. And that is why then, when he died on the cross, having lived the perfect life that you and I cannot live, he provided what was necessary for you and I to be forgiven by God. He paid the penalty, the ultimate cost, for all of our sins. The reality then is this. Jesus, who is God, died as a man physically on the cross. Oh, yes, he did. He physically endured it, he physically experienced it, and he physically died as a man. He spiritually remained alive at all times. Friends, the the same can be true for you here today. If you do not know this as the truth, as your reality, and you think of yourself as spiritual, let me encourage you. You need to be made alive by Christ, his sacrifice for you, and this new life that he wants to give you, his resurrected life that has completely destroyed death. I've told the story before, and I'll repeat it again, but it's about five years ago now that a number of us uh, church planters in Canada and with some missionaries from Canada, we went to Turkey to, uh, to visit some church planters in Turkey to encourage them. Uh, the reverse actually happened. They, they did more of the encouraging of us than we did of them. I mean, this is the land, Turkey, modern-day Turkey, is the, the, the land of the Bible, where the Apostle Paul planted churches. and went. So we went there, and there was a point in time, I won't mention his name because his life is in danger in, in Turkey and in various other places, but he, he was called by his, his fellow church planters in Turkey, in Istanbul, the, 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 the Apostle Paul, like the Apostle Paul. And he, of course, was like, oh, no, I'm not the Apostle. It was, it was an amazing speaker, and, and he was giving his testimony to us one day. And see the picture. My wife and I and about 10 or 12 other couples, uh, church planters and leaders from our denomination were there. And, and he's telling the story, and he was talking about, you know, how he had been uh, brought up in charges in, in, in Istanbul and in Turkey, and, you know, he feared for his life. The people who loved him feared for his life because they were going to kill him for preaching Jesus. And then he was talking about terrorist attacks in, in Paris and how he'd been there and you know, the people dying and all the rest of it. And, and then there was a quiet in the room and we're all looking at him. And he looked at us, pastors, Christians, and our wives. And he stopped for a second. He went, hey, 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 just, just a sec. You do know that we do not die. I'll never forget that because I was really glad he said it. I was really glad he said it. Of course I know that. But there are times that we do fear that and we do worry about that. But the truth is, we do not die. Our bodies will die. Spiritually, we will live with Christ and with God forever. And there's even better news. Our bodies, physical bodies, will be resurrected into perfect bodies one day 
in the future when Jesus comes again. So the question is actually not that odd, is it? It's not that odd. No, it actually reveals the truth of who Jesus is. They all doubted on the first Easter. They, they all were still in unbelief to a certain extent. But Jesus had no intention of leaving them that way, did he? Even Thomas. He didn't leave the testimony just to the angels. No, he appeared. So number two in our message for today is remember his word. The angels went on and said this, he's not here, he is risen. Then they said these words, remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. So the, the angels are actually the first to declare the truth of what has happened on the first Easter Sunday. He, Jesus, is not here. He's not in the tomb. He has risen. And the next words that they proclaim are the words that turn this whole story around, completely around for all of us, but specifically for the women who heard them on that day. Remember how he told you. Remember that Jesus spoke to you and on more than one occasion told you. He gave you his word. I will be handed over, delivered to sinful men. That's a generic term. That's not just for the religious people who, who did crucify him in that day. No, to sinful men is men and women, is all of us. Be crucified. And here's the part that they forgot to believe. And I will rise again on the third day. That's today, ladies is what the angels are telling them. And so, let me ask you this. How would you respond to this if you were those women on that day? I'm, I want you to think about it. How do you respond to that news even today? You're, you're hearing this text, you're hearing this spoken, and, and, and you're being told it's true. How do you respond? The women are being told by two men, two an angelic beings, by the way, that Jesus is not there because why? Because he's risen from the dead. Isn't the next question Thomas's question? Okay, where is he? Show us the body. Like, isn't that, 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 isn't that the next question? These are smart women. You would think they would ask that question. They'd want some verification. So friends, listen. Listen. That's actually all Thomas wanted. He'd heard the disciples say, we saw him, we touched him, he was here, you missed it, you were out, I don't know, you were shopping, whatever you were doing. And, and Thomas is like, no, it's exactly what he wanted. He wanted to experience exactly what the others had experienced on Easter Sunday, to see the physically raised Jesus Christ, the body of Jesus in the flesh. That's all he wanted. The Jesus that he had followed, that he'd listened to, that he'd heard, that he loved. Let me see him. Our passage concludes with these two verses. Speaking of the women, and they remembered his words. <laughs> and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. And so what we read here is wonderful. This is awesome. These women, who were four at least, 
remembered his words and they asked for proof, right? No. They were told to remember his words, what he had said. They remembered his words and immediately in their relation, they turned and ran and had to do what? Tell everyone what they'd heard and what they now believed. This is faith. We see the faith right away in these four or more women who were at the tomb on that day. Having remembered Jesus' words, they haven't seen him physically yet. They believed. No longer perplexed or in fear, they were believing and they acted like people who believed, right? They just had to tell everyone they knew that he is risen. He is risen indeed. So friends, this is true for all of us here today, isn't it? None of you that I'm aware of have ever seen the resurrected Jesus Christ in the flesh. I'm sure you haven't, actually. So how is is it possible that we can say, with all of our hearts, in unison, He is risen indeed? How can we say that? Unless we have believed by faith in exactly who He is and what He has truly done. It is only possible by, listen to me, listen to the Word, by hearing Him speak. By hearing His words. Paul tells us that. In Romans chapter 10, verses 8 and 9, he says this. He's speaking from one of the prophets from Moses, but he's, re- he's reciting it, and then he's bringing it to us today, or to them in that day, but also to us. He said, the word is near to you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim, that we preach to you. Because if you confess, look at these words, with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I I don't know, friend out there, if you've been told there's some other magic formula that you've got to go through in order to be accepted and approved by God to be saved. I don't know if you've been told that at all, but but this this is the record of Scripture. This is what you need to do. You need to hear the words of Jesus, which is the whole word of God, and you need to believe and trust in him. Paul goes on a few verses later and says, well, how then will they call on him? Will people call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Now, I like to point out, I'm a preacher, but I like to point out for, for, for everyone who's listening to this, it's not just up to these people who get up on a Sunday morning and with a microphone open the Bible. And it's all of us proclaiming the truth of who Jesus is. And then Paul concludes this amazing passage with these words. So, in conclusion, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Now, a week later, after the very first Sunday, Thomas is clued in. (laughs) I love this man. I really do. I, I I, I I feel like I'm like him a bit. I always have. He, he, he starts hanging out with the disciples. He figures if Jesus has shown up to them one time, it, maybe it's a good idea if I stick around with these guys because maybe he'll show up again. And Jesus does. One week later for one man. I want you to think about that. 
That's exactly what he's doing today for every single man and woman showing up specifically just for you and just for me. And after he gave Thomas what he wanted, which is, go ahead. Go ahead. You see me? You see the pierced side? You see my, my hands that have been, had nails driven through them? Go ahead. Touch me. Believe. Thomas just declares, my Lord and my God. Jesus then says these words to him. Thomas, have you believed because you have seen me? It's a question. And then he says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, I think many of us today would believe and agree, and I do too, that Jesus is talking about all of us, about those today like you and I who have not seen the literal physical Jesus risen from the dead and yet have believed. But, but look at the words carefully. I also believe Jesus is speaking in the past tense a little bit here. Is it not possible that he was thinking of the women? Of the women who believed but hadn't yet seen him. Number three, and in conclusion, Go then and live by faith, friends. Let's go and live by faith. So what should be our takeaway from this today? Well, first and foremost of all, let me lead you one more time. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Yes, if you can repeat that and add indeed to those words and mean it fully in your heart, then, then you are on your way to the life that Jesus has for you. You're on your way if you can say those words and mean them in your heart. But secondly, remember his word, right? Remember his word. Every time you find yourself disappointed in this life because something that has been giving you life has been taken away or you can no longer have it or you've gone past it and it no longer gives you life, remember his words. Find yourself disappointed once again to the failure of any person, including yourself, any experience or things that you've been depending on to be life-giving. Remember the words of Jesus, the Word of God. Remember the promises. Remember about who He is and what He's done, who you then are, and how then you should live in this life. Go to the Word. Go to the Word. Find it again. And then go and live by faith like the rest of us in the one who died for you, who rose from the dead. And remember this. Remember this. Jesus gave his life for you and I so that he could give his resurrected life to us. And especially remember this part. Especially remember this part. So that he could live his life in us and through us every day. Finally then, as you live out the command of Jesus to love your neighbor as yourself, remember this story. Remember the story, friends. Remember the word of God. And, and as you love your neighbor as yourself, give them the good news of the gospel from God's word that you have been reading, that you've been putting your heart. It will be more life-giving to them than your good advice or my good advice. Let's give them the good news that Jesus, yes, died for their sins on the cross and was buried. And then he rose again from the dead, victorious. So remember the word that is in you, friends. 
then that you go to every day and then point those who need life, real life, to the giver of eternal life, Jesus Christ, our risen Savior and Lord. Pray with me, would you?